chapter 25 is where we'll be this morning. We're looking at two words, faith and works. Faith and works and how those two go together. I'm excited to preach this message this morning. I've learned lots in preparation and I pray that uh, this morning as I read God's word and preach from God's word, you'll be edified. There is coming that glorious day, amen? Well, I want you to think about how glorious it will be for those who know Christ and what a day of fear it will be for those who do not know Christ. And that's what we've been looking at in chapters 24 and chapters 25 of Matthew. Let me pick up and read verse 16 through 30 this morning again and uh, kind of get us back on the thought after our worship service. Chapter 25, verse 16. We're looking at a parable of the, uh, the talents, and we're looking at the account of the sheep and the goats. Uh, in the account, uh, in the parable of the virgins, we looked at being prepared and being uh, not only waiting and watching, but being prepared. We looked at the parable of the talents and uh, God had given his servant uh, some responsibility for things while he was gone. And then in the sheep and the goats, we're looking at uh, not only uh, being prepared, we're looking at not only works and the talents, but we're also looking at serving people. So how does that all tie together with faith and works? And that's what we'll look at this morning. Chapter 25, verse 16. Who had received, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who, he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my bunny with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was with my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But for the one, that, the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, into that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. We spent one uh, Sunday in the in this account of the sheep and goats, just expounding the text. Then we uh, spent also one looking at the possibilities of this speaking of heaven and the responsibilities that we'll have there. 
And this morning we're looking at what is obvious that this is a judgment of somewhat here about works and service that we'll all face one day. So we're going to try to face that out and see how that works with faith and works. So all of Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25 are about the return of Christ. And surely uh, those, those are 89 verses that he spoke about just before his death. So he found it important to leave us with a frame of mind that he is coming soon and we have to be ready when he comes. In our study of the wise and foolish virgins, we looked at why we should consider this question. So why should we consider the question I'm about to give you this morning? So let me ask you this question. How do I know that I'm ready for the Lord's return? If he's going to return, should we not ask ourselves, how do I know that I'm ready for the Lord's return? Because it's of utmost importance. Because whether we're ready or not will determine where we're going to spend eternity. So, three thoughts for you this morning. Am I waiting and watching for the Lord's return? In my goings and comings, and you know where I go and come, uh, and, and just out in the world, I see very few people even considering that the Lord's going to return. They're not even thinking about it. They just put it out, the, out of the mind. So am I often thinking about what I tell you? I love you, I love you enough every Sunday morning to try to remind you that we're all going to die. We're all going to be buried or cremated. One of these days there will be a resurrection of the, of the dead and we'll stand before God in judgment. And be judged as the sheep and goats were. That's what we're talking about. That's going to happen. So we ought to think about that and whether we're ready or not. So am I waiting and watching for the Lord's return? Am I serving the Lord? Are there, is there concrete evidence that I'm a follower of Jesus, that I'm serving the Lord? And obvious for the, uh, the account of the sheep and the goats, am I serving others? And am I doing those things because I love the Lord? What's my motivation for what I do? So that's kind of the gist of where we're going this morning. So in the next two lessons that we've looked at and are still looking at, the parable of the talents and the account of the sheep and goats, we've looked more closely at these questions. We've looked more closely at being prepared for the Lord's return. The last two events, the talents and the sheep and the goats, carry this being ready another step. There's more to it than just being ready. What's that look like? And that step is all of those talents and also the sheep of the goats, we're looking at the judgment. What's that judgment going to look like? What's it going to look like as we stand before God? So the effect of all of this teaching is Jesus is about to go to the cross. He is about to die on the cross. His disciples will see him no more. And they were fragile. They were less informed than we are because they didn't have the rest of the book. They were fragile. His disciples would see him no more. But he explicitly warns them 
and as well us, that he will return and be the judge of all men. The Lord Jesus Christ will be the judge. So should we not often and seriously ask ourselves these kind of questions? How do I know that I'm ready? Am I waiting and watching? Am I serving the Lord? Am I serving others? That's a good indication of us being ready. So, working for the Master. Working for the Master is our first topic this morning. So you remember the parable of the talents? A rich man did what? He was leaving on a journey, and he called three of his servants and left them in charge. He gave one five talents, he gave one two talents, and he gave one one talent. Now, in that time and day, there was no money, there was no currency in this area. But currency was a measure of weight. A measure of weight, it could have been gold, it could have been silver, it could have been copper. But whatever it was, there was a significant amount of it. The speculation is that this was a large sum of money that was left with these people. If a talent was 6,000 denarii, it would have taken a man at that time about 20 years to earn that kind of money. Think, think about 20 years of income in America today for the average person. That's a lot of money. So they were left with a lot to take care of. But the amount is not important. The amount's not important. But the parable is about talents. It's taking the things that God has entrusted us with and, and using them in a manner that brings honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's called a talent. J.C. Ryle says a talent is anything that you're given that you can use to glorify God. What we have, are we using it to glorify God? Are we using it for Him? But the point of the parable is that waiting for Christ's return, are you listening, and being ready for His return is not a passive matter. We're not just to cover up our head or sit in our recliner or our rocking chair and just wait for the Lord's return. I think a lot of people in America today are pretty fed up with lots of things that are going on. I think a lot of people are just hunkered down. They're not doing anything for the Lord, not doing anything to push back. They're just waiting for, quote, the rapture. Well, while we're waiting, he's left us with things to do. Let me, let me read this again. The point of the parable is that waiting for Christ's return is not a passive matter. You've got children and families to get ready for the return of Christ. You've got a church to work in. You've got, you've got a society that so badly needs Jesus. Bob was talking about how how open these people were to prayer and to be ministered to. Listen, there's a society out there crying out for people to minister to them and to tell them the truth. We're left here for a purpose. Number one, to get yourself ready for heaven. Number two, to get your wife and your children ready for heaven. 
Number three, to get others that you are acquainted with and familiar with ready for heaven. That's what he left us here for. We are to live for God's glory and to advance his kingdom through the local church. Church, we are expected to work faithfully, effectively, and energetically for him while we wait. I don't know who uh, cleaned up the front flower beds in the last couple of days, but you made my day this morning. I love to see the church grounds well kept, and I have no idea who did it. I didn't see who did it. Praise God. There's all kinds of little works to do, amen? But listen to me, we are to work faithfully, effectively, and here's the last word. Some of us need a dose of this, amen? Energetically. That's the matter in which we're to do it. So, thinking about this wicked servant, we're going to look at him for just a moment, not much. Why did the wicked servant not serve his master at all? He knew him, knew him well enough to get a talent. Why didn't that guy serve? He didn't do it, as as my daddy would say, he didn't hit a lick. He didn't do a thing. Why Why was it that way? We also need to see that Both the servants, the one that got five talents and the one that got two talents, they both served him well. They doubled his money, if you want to say it that way. But they did not serve with the same results. One produced five talents, one produced two talents. So let's look at three or four verses here as we get cranked up this morning. Verse 16 again. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents, listen to how it says this now, came forward bringing five talents more, bringing five talents more, And he said, let me get back to my place. Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. This is the way I see the guy that came with five talents. I think he had the bag that he initially got those five talents in. He had another another bag with the five talents he had made. He was excited to show the master what he had done. And he was received by the master excitedly. And look what he says. He said, you well done, good and faithful servant. Tell me that's not what all we will all want to hear on the day of judgment. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I have set you over, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. We've already looked at that in a past sermon. And he also, who had two talents, came forward and said, Master, look what I've done. You gave me two, ta- you were. The master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. He was excited about it. What we do for the Lord, we ought to be excited about it. The master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You hear that word? You see that? Joy. Could America not use a dose of joy? Could most of us on a regular basis use a dose of joy? They were ecstatic to open their bags 
and show the master what they've done. Just think about your kids. Have, have you never come home and your kids wanted to show you something they'd done? That's the way we ought to be with the things the Lord's given us. We ought to be like kids excited to show the Lord what we've done with what he's given us. We could all use a little of that joy. They wanted to serve their Lord well. What motivated them to want to serve the Lord? What motivates your children to please you? Think about that. What motivates your children to please you? And the master was just as joyful in celebrating what they've done. And please, parents, uh, you, you don't have to overreact, but when your child does something well, rejoice with them. Now, I didn't say when they do something badly to pretend that they did it well. But I'm telling you, when they do something well, you ought to celebrate it. Just like the Lord did with these servants. So why was this the case? Why do you think two of the servants served the master well? Think about that. But listen to the third servant, verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. I don't think... Do you not feel the uncomfort here? Can you not just sense the tension here? Why did this servant not serve his master? Well, let's listen to his words, okay? Let me tell you what his, his, his uh, words are going to show us in just a minute. This man hated the master. Listen to him as he slanders the master. He was lazy, and he's going to condemn his master unfairly. It wasn't truthful. The master gives his talent to the one who had ten talents already. Listen to what it says about this. I'm picking up in verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. What evidence is there in this count that that's the case? There's not any evidence of that. reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. That is a pretty uh, boastful statement for a worker to make against the master, amen? It's surely a pretty strong statement to uh, present to somebody that uh, uh, is, your, is your judge. He was lazy, condemned his master unfairly. So what, what, can we, what can we learn from these accounts about these talents? So think about this for a second. From these talents, here's what, or from these talents, and particularly from the last man, a do-nothing Christian is no Christian at all. 
A do-nothing Christian is no Christian at all. Because if he loves the master, which a Christian will do, he will be serving him. One commentator said, to have, do, to have done no harm is the praise of a stone, not the praise of a man. God put us here to praise the Lord with our words and with our actions. And we should be about doing that. So for this man to do nothing at all shows that he had no love for the master. Let me go back to your children. At an early age, why do your children want to please you? Because they love you until they get big enough to be rebellious against you and they still love you, but they just don't know how to show it. To have done nothing shows that he did not really belong to the master. To have done nothing shows that he has no share in the master's kingdom. To do nothing here in this life, calling yourself a Christian, and to do nothing for the advancement of his kingdom is nothing but perishing forever away from the presence of the Lord. I don't know what the statistics are in most Baptist churches, but uh, about 50% of the roster of most Baptist churches, they haven't seen them in the last 10 years. This is an odd church. This is an odd Baptist church that our membership is active. Did you hear me? Not seen them. But they claim themselves to be on the roll. I'll tell you, the first thing it will be in the announcement in the paper. And they were members of Mount Joy Baptist Church. But they hadn't seen them in 10 years or 50 years. I'm telling you, that's the way it is. So let me ask you from this scripture, we're talking, are we not talking about the judgment? The judgment of the sheep and goats? Don't get caught up in the sheep and the goats. This is the judgment of the saved and the lost. Are y'all with me? Well, from this account of the talents and the account of the sheep and goats, is this not a judgment of works? It is a judgment of works. Just hang on to that fact. In the wise and foolish virgins, the parable of the talents and the sheep and the goats, we see works-based judgment. And then we see in the last one about the sheep and the goats, in particular, we see a service-based judgment. We're going to look at that also. Matter of fact, let's just look at the end of that uh, chapter at these verses. So let's look at uh, verse 35 in chapter 25. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. What's he judging them according to? What they had done. Service. That's exactly what the judgment was based upon. So, in, these, in this chapter, can we not see the emphasis is on 
prepared, waiting, working, and serving. What did I tell you? We are not, waiting is not passive. Waiting is working and serving. Yet, what do we know? Y'all all know Ephesians 2, 8. You can all quote it to me. Right there it is before you. I'm going to read it. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. But for you, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, we believe this scripture. This scripture is true. It is absolutely true that we've saved, been saved by grace. But look at verse 10. Would you look at verse 10? We've been saved by grace for what? A purpose. And what's that purpose? For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus anew by the Spirit of God, for what? Good works. So that follows being saved by grace, good works. So, talking about works and faith makes many Protestants real nervous. And it ought to make us real nervous. Yet in the parables of the talents, judgment is based on the use or the misuse of talents. It's based upon works. But we surely do not want to put any trust, listen, knowing that we're saved by grace through faith, it's surely, and we do not want to put any trust in a faith that brings about a false security. And I want to tell you, the American church is living engrossed in a false security. Y'all want to know what it is? I've walked an aisle, I've said a prayer, I've got baptized, I'm good to go. I believe in God. It even gets less than walk an aisle, say a prayer, and get baptized. I believe in God. And they believe that because they believe in God, God's not going to send them to hell. Well, let me remind you that the angels believe in God. A false security. Now hang on to that thought. I don't want to be a part of giving anybody in this church a false security. In the account of the sheep and goats, we see that judgment depends on the care or the neglect of the poor brethren. You didn't take care of who? The hungry, the thirsty, those without clothes, those sick, those that were in prison. We began chapter 25 with the readiness of the virgins. These accounts are not neglecting faith as being necessary, but if we are saved by true faith, it will be a faith that produces actions, that produces results. This faith, a saving faith, is not a dead faith. Because a dead faith, listen to me, James says, saves nobody. Is your faith alive? Is it real? If it's real, it's going to change your life and change your actions. James 2, 14 through 17. 
What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? He's a pastor. He's saying, we need a little evidence. Can that faith save him? Verse 15, if a brother or sister is pretty close and lack, lacking in daily food and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Does that not sound like the, uh, the sheep and the goats account that we just looked at? Verse 17, so also faith by itself, it does not have works, is what? A saving faith. A saving faith leads to a changed life. Let me say again, for most of us who were selfish and headed in our own direction, being saved is an absolute 180 degree change in direction. An exactly opposite life of what I was living, in which I was living for myself and the world. Okay, so you say, but, but what about Paul? What about Ephesians 2, 8? Well, how about what Paul says? Look at Romans 2, 7 through 11. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to, for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Greek first, the Jew first, and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. So does this mean that we're saved by works after all? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But these passage, these passages reveal, are you ready, that that works will follow true faith. Works will accompany being born again. Works will accompany being truly saved. Listen carefully. There's surely a link that must be connected. There's a link between what we believe and what we do. A link between what we believe and what we do. The person is a new person. There is a new nature. Amen. And some appreciable manner, that new nature will manifest itself. Uh, thank the Lord. I, I, I've, lived, I've lived in the same house for 28 years. Okay? I tell you guys all the time, I'm not the same guy that lived 29 years ago in Murfreesboro, Arkansas. I don't care if you've changed houses or not. If you're, if you're still the same guy that you were before you got saved as you are today, you're not saved. It's a new person. It's a changed life. You have different goals. So we are not justified by works. We're justified by faith. If we think we are or can be justified by our works, we're not saved. Now, how about that for a change? Did you hear me? If we think or we, 
are, we think we are or can be justified by our works, we're not saved. The only thing that saves is Christ and what He did on the cross and what we've done with Him. But we in turn cannot claim to be a Christian or believe we're saved unless there's a changed life and works. It is an illusion to think you're saved and that your life has not changed. If we're not serving Christ in others, we show ourselves never to have been justified. Made right with God. If we're not working, we are not saved. Just go back and read about the guy that got the one talent. Where's he at? Huh? That's where he's at. So there's an additional warning here. God knows what we have, amen? Because He gave it to us. God will judge us if we do not use what He gave us. Verse 24 of chapter 25. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. Should have done something. Did y'all hear that? <laughs> the, the Lord Jesus Christ has said, You should have done something. Is that not what he's saying? He says, At least... The least you could have done. The least you could have done. So take the talent from him and give it to them who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen. Surely this bunch, surely the assembled church can, 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 can hear this clear language. Not everybody's going to heaven. I hear it all the time. I just can't believe. I just can't believe God would send anybody to heaven. I'm sorry, send anybody to hell. I hear it all the time. These are the words of Jesus. Amen, just give me the scripture. Now, we also need to remember these verses when we attempt to compare Christians. All right, now listen, this is some practical lessons now. These accounts teach us that Christians will work They will use the talents given them. 
but they will not do things the same way or with the same success. Are you with me? I believe the guy that got the two talents and produced two talents got the same reward as the guy that did five, had five talents and produced five talents more. But what did the guy with two talents do? He used what he had. You know, that's, thank God, aren't we glad that we, all we can do is use what we got. It is God's prerogative alone to judge His servants. Are y'all listening? We are not all-knowing, and we do not know what ability God has given to anyone. We don't know what they're working with, do we? Neither, neither, neither do I, neither do you, neither. But who does? God knows. The only servant that is in trouble, are y'all listening? The only servant that is in trouble is the one who does nothing. And I would say this, even you and I need to be careful about the judging of the nothing. Because judgment is not of us, it is of the Lord. Romans 14, 4. You want a pretty powerful scripture? Here it is. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. Listen, you don't have to worry about judging that person. Why? Because that person's got a day coming, just like we all do. And I am quite sure that the scripture that Jesus gives, gives us earlier to Matthew the way that we are likely to judge people today with, with that severe attitude that we might judge somebody else, the Lord could just use that severe attitude against us. It is before his own master he stands or fallen. He will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. You know... We ought not to judge others. Amen? But you ready for this one? Every day we ought to be judging ourselves. Every day we ought to be examining ourselves. Amen? Every day. You know, you mo you know my go-to scriptures. Look at 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine who? To see what? Whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Are you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is where? Unless what? What are you looking for? What, what do I need a little of? I need a little evidence that you're saved. You need more evidence than I do. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your what? Own salvation with what? Now, do you not, do you not see from this passage about the sheep and the goats and, and cast him away where there's gnashing of the teeth and eternal fire? 
Do you not see that it's important that we examine ourselves? And do you not see that it's important that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? We're not working to be saved, but we're looking and working to make sure there's evidence that we're what? Saved. So faith and works. Whether we love God and others has a direct bearing on the relationship of faith and works. Whether we love God and others has a direct bearing on the relationship of faith and works. We're looking at today in the passage and in our lives and in our lives of others that our faith will result in our past in, in our practice. We surely know that we're saved by grace. And not by works. We've already looked at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. If that is what we believe, how then can our judgment be based on works and service? Is that not a fair question? How can it be both? We've seen in the parable of the talents and the account of the sheep and goats that judgment's based on works and service. What these texts teach us is this that our judgment will be based upon demonstrated evidence. At least, at least there should be some evidence in our own lives. Should, should we not be able to tell ourselves, wouldn't it be fair for me to be able to tell Jeannie, or Jeannie to tell me the evidence that she sees in my faith? That's what we're talking about. At least, you know what I'm talking about? At least in your bedroom, in your quiet closet by yourself, at least there ought to be some what? Evidence as to who? You, that you're saved. The works that we do, do not save us. Did you hear that? The works that we do, do not save us, but are evidences that we love, trust, and are followers of Jesus. Did y'all hear those? The works that we do, do not save us, but are evidence that we love, trust, and are followers of Jesus. You know how we admit people into the church? Here's just a, here's a little bit of practicality, right? Listen to this. By statement of faith, that what? They're followers of Jesus, that they believed in Christ, they're trusting in Christ, that they've been baptized, okay? A statement of belief, a credible profession. A credible profession. They make a profession that they're followers of Jesus based on some evidences. And a life lived that is consistent with being a what? A Christian. There's got to be that statement before you can unite with even with the church. We're just talking about church membership here. We're not talking about judgment. 
James Montgomery Boyce says this. Are y'all listening carefully? An inconsistent life. Now this is really getting down to it, so please pay a little bit of attention, tad bit longer. Listen to it. This is so sobering. These guys are brilliant. An inconsistent life invalidates any spoken profession. Let me read that again. An inconsistent life invalidates any spoken profession, however sincerely it's professed. Want a little scripture? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Is that not exactly what James Montgomery Boyce said? That's exactly what he said. William Hendrickson says this, in the case of any individual, what matters is whether they have during their earthly life given evidence of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, Lord help us, we went before the judge to be convicted of a crime. What would they have to have? Well, what did they used to have to have? Evidence. Let me ask you, you were standing trial for capital murder. And we're talking about whether they're going to put you in prison for life or maybe even, even the electric chair, okay? We're not even talking about eternity and a burning hell or a wonderful heaven, right? To convict you of that, what do they got to have? What do you got to have to feel good about going home and going to bed tonight and going to sleep? Evidence that you're what? A follower of Jesus. That's all I'm trying to get you to see today. So in the case of any given individual, what matters is whether they have during their earthly life given any evidence of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, a life in harmony with Christ, are you ready? goes right back to Matthew 7, 21. Christ commands an example. But only what? You want to know some real evidence that you're a Christian? You believe and live by this word. But let's get one point straight. Look at Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. All right? So now it gets down to the big boys, okay? Preachers and prophets and whatever the case may be. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell him plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. So you see there, it's not all about works. They did all of these great works, but they didn't love the Lord and they didn't do what they did for his honor and glory because they loved him. It was all selfish. Now, let me just tell you this. 
We're not talking about prophesying and preaching and leading music and, and, and preaching hundreds of church, uh, sermons or being in the same church for 30 years. We're not talking about those kind of things. Let me tell you what we're talking about in these parables, in this account of the sheep and the goats. We're talking about the little things that you do by the work of Christ in you that nobody sees. You with me? We're talking about Christ working in you and you are doing these little things because Christ is in you. You want to live for Him and live for His glory and you do them in such a manner that you don't even know that you're doing them. Does He not say that? When did I? So we know they were little things. I mean, He didn't preach to 6,000 every Sunday. The little things. Listen, it's not a big or notable thing that you've done. It's cleaning the flower bed in secret. It's not what we have said. It's not all the great work we've done. It's not all the sermons I've preached. It's not all the money that I've given. It's none of that. Listen to what Matthew 25, 40. Please look at it. Look at it right there in your Bible. Matthew 25, 40. And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you what? You did it to me. It's your food that you shared with a hungry brother or sister. It was a water bottle that you got for a weary follower of Christ. It was the greeting that you gave. It was the prayers that you offered when you were in the hospital with your, uh, with your wrist blown up, but you were praying for somebody that was in more trouble than you were in. It was the clothes you gave. It was caring for the ill or the elderly. It was the visit you made to the prison. It was the trips you made to the doctor. It's the little things. So how do we know that they were little Look at Matthew 25, 44. And then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? And let me just ask you, which one of you here today, which one of us here today couldn't do these things? We're not talking about teaching a toddler class. We're not talking about teaching the, the adults on Sunday morning. We're not talking about any of these stuff. Who of, who of us that couldn't do those little things? None. Especially when Christ, what? Who indwells me is doing it. So Matthew 25, 44, again, then they will answer saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? You know what I'm talking about? On that day you want to say, and it'll be truthful for me, <laughs> maybe for most of us because of our memory, maybe it'll be truthful. I don't remember that. So, I don't, Jeannie's always saying, do you remember that? I don't have a clue what you're talking about.
If the Lord ever reads any accolades for us, we want to have that attitude. Lord, if you say it, I believe it, but I don't remember it. Why? Why? Because that's just who we ought to be. Are you with me? Nothing extra about this. This is just who God has made me to be. I want to tell you, we got a couple in the church. If we have a funeral, they're out there opening doors. Why? That's just who they are. That's just who they are. It's not a bigger, notable thing that you've done. It's not what we have said. It's not all the great work that we've done. None of that. You don't even remember doing it. So here we come to the truth of the matter. You remember when he was teaching us, he was talking to the religious leaders back in chapter 6, you know, that great chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the Beatitudes. You remember in chapter 6, verse 3, he said, when you give to the needy, what? Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. So don't do what you do to be seen. Then in verse 6, he said, and when you pray, just go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is not who you can't see when nobody else is watching. Not to be seen, not to be heard. What about when you're fasting? Said the same thing. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites who disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So do all that we do out of love for who? And who? Who? What's the first commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all the strength. And the second is the same, I like it. Love your what? As yourself. That's why we do things. Oh, for sure. You know what they said? Now, Jesus, if you would have been there, if you would have been the one hungry, if you would have been the one without clothes, if you'd have been the one that was thirsty, if you had been in prison, or if you'd have been in, in, in the hospital, I'd have come to see you. Come on now. Why? Because they would have gotten noticed. Or if the governor had been watching, surely I'd have done all those things. Now listen again. I've used this word once already. All of this is a delusion that is in our minds only, or their minds only, it is only obvious when the Lord reveals their fate that they have no love for God, no love for others, and that they were pretenders only. So let me get this again, okay? So people who think they are saved and there's no change in their lives and there are no evidences are only deluded in their own mind that they're going to be okay when they stand before God. It's a delusion, If there's no evidence in your life that you're a follower of Jesus, you are being deluded by your, your mind and the devil to think you're going to go to heaven. We touched on this last week. Now listen, I want you to remember again, these people are not condemned for some great sin. Are you with me? They were not Hitler. They were not recently a mass murderer or pedophiles 
or abortionist. They were, they were none of those things as far as the evidence shows. They are again condemned for the little, listen, they are being condemned for the little bit they could have done and didn't do it. Did y'all hear that? Condemned for the little, you remember that one talent? Not five, not two, that one talent? They're condemned for what they could have done and didn't do it. So of that, and, and by the way, because they were members of the church, we're talking about a judgment. Okay, you remember that? They, I can't believe, I can't believe I, I did that or I didn't do that. They don't remember, but listen. And, and also because they were members of the church or that followers of Jesus or they were around Jesus, on the day of judgment they will be astonished. Did you hear me? There will be people that have deluded themselves that on the day of judgment they'll be astonished to hear those words. Away from me, I never knew you. I'm just preaching the text. And it is a difficult one. But I'm going to close with some good news, okay? Listen to me carefully. Listen to Matthew 25, 10 through 13. All right, so now what am I talking about? People are going to get in judgment. They're going to all their life said, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And when they stand before God in judgment, they're going to go, I can't believe it. Oh, I was a church member. I was faithful in the church. Matthew 25, 10, And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in to him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Remember that, the first parable of the wise and the foolish virgins? Remember they came back? What'd they do? Hey, 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 we're right out here. Open the door. Open the door. They were surprised. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, what? I didn't know what? I didn't know what? What did I tell you a couple of weeks ago? When you open your mouth or go into your clerk closet, there ought to be no doubt the Lord knows you. Amen? He hears your voice. You hear his voice. You follow him. It doesn't matter. Grass in the flower beds, trash on the ground, cleaning the toilets like Jesus was going to use them. It's not terrible, egregious wrongdoing that is so seriously condemned, but the failure to do good when you had an opportunity to do good. Our attitude should be that we're always looking to do what? Good. Do these things. 
So, what did I tell you all the time? If you're saved, I can't what? If you're saved, I can't what? I can't lose you. I can't unsave you. I tell you that all the time. That's the truth. Because I'm not in the saving business, but the Lord Jesus is. And when He's saved, you're saved. When He gives you a new heart and a new spirit, you've got a new heart and a new spirit. When He writes it on your mind and puts it in your heart, you've got a new heart and a new spirit that's wrote in your mind and put it on your heart. But if you're lost, I want to help you see it. Look at me. Now. Because now you can do something about it. But not on the day of judgment. Jesus nor myself are trying to frighten anyone. But to think we're right with God, to think that we are right with God and not be right with God is not the place you want to be at judgment. Now, now, let me say it again. To think you're right with God and not be right with God is not the place you want to be at judgment. That's all I'm doing. I'm just begging you. Examine yourself. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Second Peter 2, 1 through 11. And by the way, if you want to do some good things with yourself or your family this week, uh, you can go to 2 Peter 2, 1 through 11. And there's all kinds of scripture here that Peter talks about making your calling and election sure. How you, it's, it's what it's talking about. Hey, if you need a little more study, how about reading 1 John? Just the book of 1 John. Come on now. Are you, are you with me? If you want some evidence, read 2 Peter 2, 1 through 11. Then go read the, the, the little book of 1 John. So you know my go-to verses. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Are you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. In other words, if I do not see evidence that Jesus is living in me and through me, now I changed this from we. And I want you to put the I in there too. In other words, if I do not see evidence that Jesus is living in me and through me, if I do not see Christ-like character being revealed in me, if there's little or no evidence that I love God and His church, if I am not becoming more and more consistent in doing the will of God because I want to and with great joy and because I love Him, I must repent, believe the gospel, and enter into the kingdom of God. Because if you have repented and believed the gospel and entered into the kingdom of God, you'll be doing those things. That's what I'm telling you this morning. 
And I think for many of the people, it is they've walked an aisle, they've said a prayer, and they've got baptized, but they've never repented. For the last 200 years in, in, in Western evangelicalism, okay, repentance has been left out of the gospel message. Repent! You were going your own direction, now you're going to go God's direction. You were committing sins that caused Christ to be killed on the cross. You've got to be killing those sins out in your life. That's repentance. And believe the gospel. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. That's the gospel, and you're willing to confess it and believe it and walk it out in your life. You can do that today. You can't do that on the day of judgment. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The book of 1 John, a great study for you individually, you and your wife, you and your family this week. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 11. It's a great scripture to go to making sure that your calling and election and salvation is what? Sure. May God bless the preaching of the word.